Welcome to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church in Donaldson, Arkansas. This is Elder Neil Phelan, Jr., preaching in our regular Sunday morning service. Every Bibles, let's turn to the seventh chapter of the book of Romans. This is, of course, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome, and he's talking about a spiritual battle, a battle that every Christian faces. For we know that the law is spiritual, and I am carnal, sold under sin, but that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not, but what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. I was met a man the other day, and we began to talk to one another about what we did. And I told him, I said, well, I'm a minister. I preach. And told him where I preached. And he said, well, I didn't know you were a preacher. He said, I'm a Christian. He said, I used to be a very wild person. He said, I was in the world, and he said, I ran around with a lot of ungodly women. And he began to tell me about all of his escapades and the things that he did. And then he began to talk about, he started going to church, and he said, you know, I realized I was living in sin, and I wanted to get my life right, and so I became a Christian, I joined the church, and he said, uh, it's been a real blessing to me since that time. He said, but there's one thing that really bothers me still. He said, I still have a lot of ungodly thoughts. He said, I think back on things I did, and I begin to think about it, or I see he began to talk about some woman he would see or something he would see on television and how it would really trouble his heart because his thoughts would begin to go astray. And he said, I'm married. I have a wife. I love her. And he said, I don't understand. He said, why is it that I'm now a member of the church and I've been baptized. I love God. I'm a Christian and I've changed my life. But still, I have a problem with the way I think and dealing with everything that's going on in all of this sin. You know, the first thing I thought about was what a blessing it is to know the truth. You know, we're in a place that we understand something about this warfare that goes on in our hearts, the things that uh, we struggle against. And so uh, I began to talk to him about our dual nature. I began to tell him, well, you know, you're born again or you wouldn't be having a struggle. You know, anybody that has a struggle with sin and they're dealing with sin, whether it's something like that or whether you're just dealing with, you know, your temper, your tongue, whatever it is that we deal with that is of our carnal nature, then if we're struggling with that, that is one of the greatest evidences that we're one of God's children. And I began to tell him about that and he started tearing up and he realized that 
what he was dealing with was something that every Christian deals with. And so that's my subject this morning is I want to talk to you about every Christian's battle. As we read the Apostle Paul here, it sounds like that he really doesn't know what's going on. It kind of sounds like he's going in circles, doesn't it? He says, what I would not, that I do. And then what I would want to do, that I can't do it. And here we have a man that as an, an apostle who has personally met Jesus Christ, but has had great revelations of the scriptures and has written six uh, of the books of the New Testament. And he's having the same Christian struggle that every one of us have. And I think it's interesting that we would see that a man like this would have the same kind of struggle as the person that I met the other day that didn't know anything that was going on in his life. You know, it's a great blessing when we understand who we are and how we're made up. I thought, you know, you can't fix the sink if you don't know anything about the plumbing, right? So we can't fix ourselves if we don't know anything about what's going on within us. Uh, we must understand that this struggle that's going on in our own hearts and minds every day of our life, there's not a day in your life that you will not be struggling with some kind of sin. Like I said, whether it's the tongue, our temper, what we see, how we react in our marriages, in our interactions with our children, our friends, our family, this is something that we all deal with on a daily basis. And so the Apostle Paul is talking about these two natures that he has, <clears throat> his flesh <clears throat> and his spirit. Now he mentions the inner man, which is the spirit, <clears throat> and he mentions that the spirit cannot sin. And it is true that the spirit cannot sin. Uh, we are born of God's spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells us. And that part of us cannot sin. You know, John mentions that over in 1 John, that there is something within us that cannot sin, and that is the Holy Spirit. But see, we have this flesh that we still deal with, even though we're born again. See, we're, we're, we have a dual nature as children of God. And so we're struggling with this every day, and this flesh that is in us, that is all over us, that we deal with, it's always longing for something after the world. It's hungry. It wants to be fed. It wants to be fed something that is not good, something that is carnal. And we have to make a decision in our own lives as to what we're going to feed. Now, if you've got two animals, and they're both in a cage, and one of them's a good animal, and the other one is a bad animal, and you know if you feed that bad animal, and you keep feeding it, and he gets stronger, and you don't feed the good animal, which animal is going to overtake you? And it's the same thing in our personal experience. The animal that we feed, and what we feed it, has a lot to do with our being able to overcome sin and struggles in our own particular lives. Now, it is Satan that wants us to convince us that all the things that we hunger for, that our carnal appetite desires, is going to be good for us. Many times the Lord's people get out in the world and they begin to partake of things that they shouldn't. And those things can cause sorrow, sin, depression. And I'm not saying that all depression comes from sin. But depression can come from sin because we fed that carnal man and he's beginning to overtake us. And the joy that we could be experiencing in our lives that we have forfeited it for the things of this world. One of my favorite books on this subject that I've enjoyed reading and I've read it more than once 
is a book that's called uh, Pilgrim's Progress. I, have you ever, I don't know if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress before or not, but it was written by John Bunyan. It was written while he was imprisoned, and in that day apparently they let him have parchments or paper that he could write with. And I love that part in the, in, in the book of, I think it's the book of Acts, or maybe it's in the book of Philippians, where Paul says uh, to remember him and bring him a coat, <clears throat> but especially remember the parchments. He wanted something to be writing on while he was in prison. And even though the apostle didn't pastor churches later in his life, he was busy writing and, of course, studying the Word of God. And so while John Bunyan was in prison, he was busy writing some things. And he wrote The Pilgrim's Progress and several other works that uh, are very profitable to read. But as he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, uh, it's about the pilgrim's struggle here in this world and how that as we're going through this world, we're going to meet a lot of different people, and we're going to have uh, a lot of different things that are going to entice us, a lot of ideas that the world's going to present to us to draw us away from the place that we're going to see, receive the greatest blessing, and that is fellowship with the Lord and with His people in God's house. And a lot of times the Lord's people are running after those things, and uh, in the end they, they don't receive the greatest blessing that they could have been had in God's house. So as we, I want to look at Pilgrim's Progress just for a, a few minutes this morning because some of these characters that John Bunyan introduces in this book are people that I've actually met, and there will be people that you've met in your life. It's just his I think personal experience of meeting people and having experiences with uh, temptations in life and so uh, Pilgrim's Progress of course is about us. We're pilgrims, right? We're pilgrims and strangers in a very dark and unfriendly world and so he speaks of himself in this uh, book as Christian. And so in this book, he starts it out, and if you've read it, I hope this won't be boring to you, but uh, it's a good refresher of, of the book anyway. But he starts out the book, and so uh, he's living in this place of carnal destruction, and he's wanting to get away from it, which is a, a figure of the world. And so uh, he, he gets this burden on his back. And, of course, this burden on his back, he, he real, real, realizes that uh, he's a sinner. And he wants to get this burden off of his back. And I think that's a common experience for God's people is uh, the Lord deals with us in our lives. And it's only the Lord that convince anybody of sin. I can stand in this pulpit and I can talk about sin and preach about sin and tell people about sin. But it's not going to change anybody's mind. The only person that can convince a person of sin is God himself through the work of the Holy Spirit. So if you've ever been convinced that you're a sinner, then you must be one of God's people, okay? He's uh, put a tag on you, and he's put this burden on your back. And you can work to get this burden off your back, or uh, you can just live with it and not know how to get it off your back. But this, this guy's going to get it off of his back. So he's determined that he's going to leave the city of destruction and get to a place that he can get this burden off of his back. And so his wife begins to argue with him and say, you know, uh, why are you leaving this great place? This is a wonderful place. There's lots of wonderful things to do here. Why are you going over there uh, and want to leave a, a place like this? And, you know, that's true sometimes. You know, you have friends and people around you that uh, they want to know why you want to go to church. Well, why are you here this morning? You could be out doing something else. Uh, why did you even decide you wanted to go to church anyway? Well, I would imagine it's because you got a burden on your back. You know, you, you want to be somewhere where you can find some peace and some joy in your life. And so you begin to look for some way to get the burden off his back. So he leaves the city of destruction and his wife's still put out with him because he's leaving. And so along the way, he's uh, walking along and he meets a person whose name is Mr. Pliable. Now, Mr. Pliable is a person that will believe anything. 
You know, there's a lot of pliable people in the world, you know, that you can give them one doctrine and they'll believe it. And then you give another doctrine and they'll believe that. And even though those two doctrines don't even agree, they believe both of them. It's like that person I told you about that Spurgeon asked what they believe. And the person said, well, I believe what the church believes. And he said, well, what does the church believe? He said, they believe what I believe. Well, he said, well, what do you and the church believe anyway? He said, well, we both believe the same thing. <laughs> he just didn't know what he believed. You know, we need to know what we believe, what we stand for as God's people. So Mr. Pliable's walking along with him. And the next thing you know, they fall into this place called the Slough of Despond. Well, they get down in there, and you know what a slough is. If you've been down, down the tracks a ways, you've seen the slough, right? Well, there's a few sloughs around here, and I've fallen in some of them. I've waded out in them before to get a squirrel or something. And you get down in them, and sometimes you can't get out of them. You can get stuck. Well, uh, Christian is stuck in the slough with Mr. Pliable. And they're trying to figure out how to get off the, out of the slough. Well, Mr. Pliable, he decides rather, and by the way, they're on their journey to the wicked gate. They, they've, they've, they're on a direction to get to the celestial city. And you've got to go through the slough of despond to get there. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been in the slough of despondent before, you know. Uh, that is a place where uh, you lose your hope, you lose your courage, you lose your faith. You can just about lose everything when you get in the slough of despond. If you go through a great problem in your life, you've probably been in the slough of despond. You've been down there and you've been stuck, and it's hard to get out. A lot of people, they don't continue to go towards the celestial city. Uh, they decide, well, it's too hard. I'll just quit going to church. I'll quit reading my Bible. I'll quit working. I'll quit, I'll quit working at it and trying to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you know, if we're going to have a relationship with anybody, it's going to take some work, right? I have a wonderful wife, and she's easy to live with. But, you know, it doesn't matter how wonderful a person is. You've got to be on good behavior yourself. <laughs> You've got to try and work at something that is very profitable. And when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ and with his people, you know, it takes some work. You know, getting along with the Lord's people in his church, sometimes we can have differences. We can have some, um, you know, maybe personality conflicts and a few things along the way in God's house. But, you know, as God's people, we're supposed to love each other, love the Lord, and we have to work at something that's very profitable, and that is the peace and the joy that we find in the house of God. So anyway, they're both down in the slough. So Mr. Pliable decides it's not worth it. I'm not going to keep trying at this. I'm just going to go back to the city of destruction. So he climbs out and goes back where he's been. There's a lot of God's people that have done that. They've been in God's house. They've received a blessing here, but they just get up and go back to the place where they've been. That being the case, they're not going to find the fellowship with the Lord and the blessings that are to be found in his presence and in his house. But we find Christian, he's still struggling down in the slough of despond. He's trying to get out. And so uh, somebody comes along whose name is help. Now there's a lot of help that we find in the world. We can find help in God's house, with his people, with fellow Christians, encouraging one another. There's people in the world that can help us with a lot of things that we need. Find a lot of help and encouragement in the Word of God. Now sometimes we, if we, if we become students of God's Word, and when I say that I don't mean you're supposed to know every verse and every scripture, but if we spend some time in the reading of God's Word, you're going to get a lot of help in your life because it's going to have a wonderful counsel for you as you face the difficulties of life. But anyway, somebody by help, named Help, comes along and begins to talk to Christian and 
tells him that uh, you can get out of the slough of despond. And he begins to ask him, first of all, why, why he's having such trouble in there. And he said, I got this burden on my back and I can't get out. <laughs> he said, well, there's some steps that you can get out. And of course, those steps have to do with using our faith. You know, there's steps, there's ways to get out of trouble. And some of those steps are found in the Word of God and uh, through prayer and, and using our faith. And so that's a figure in this book about somebody coming along and helping Christian. And he finds these steps and he gets out and he walks out of the slew of despond. And now he's headed towards the celestial city once again. Well, he meets another person that you're going to meet in your life. And you've already met him. And his name is Mr. Worldly Wise Man. He's a figure of the world itself. He tells you that he's been around longer than the church, longer than anybody. He knows more than your preacher. He knows more than the Bible. He knows more than God. And he's going to tell you how you are going to be the happiest person in the world. He's going to lay the world out before you, all the things you like to do, things that will draw you away from God's house. And he begins to counsel you and tell you all these things. And so a Christian is listening to him. And uh, he said, you know, it sounds like you've got what I need. Give me your secret. And so the world begins to say, well, you know, that religion you've, you're after, you know, that's that's really not that important. There's all kinds of religions in the world. Uh, you know, people get confused sometimes when they find out that there's uh, other religions in the world. Well, of course there's other religions in the world. You know, the question is, which one is the truth? You know, that's for us to determine in our own hearts, is to find God's Word and read it and follow after the truth. And there's where we're going to receive the blessing. But people get confused about that. I've known kids that have gone to college they get to college, they've been going to a little church like this all their life, and they, they enjoy it, and they go to college, they find out, my goodness, there's other religions out there, and there's other kinds of faith, there's other kinds of people, and sometimes you can grow up in the, in the place that has more truth than anywhere, and you take it for granted because you think it's just because where you grew up. You know, this, this church, I love it because of the truth that is found here. When I came here, I... Uh, I didn't understand grace. Uh, I came here just by an invitation and uh, heard the message of God's grace. And uh, I'd already joined another church. And I thought, well, you know, this is just, I'm just, you don't want to do the same thing again. This is just another church. And then I recognized that it was the Lord speaking to me that this is the truth. You joined that other church for the wrong reason. <laughs> now it's time to join one for the right reason because it's the truth. And I've received a great blessing from it. But the world will tell you many, many things, and uh, it can cause us to uh, stray and go in the wrong direction in ways that, you know, we may not even realize what's going on. That's the thing about it, is this battle that goes on within us, this flesh, it's, it's powerful. Uh, we can be deluded sometimes. Have you ever done something in your life and you, you look back and you recognize that, you know, what was I thinking when I did that? You know, sometimes pride gets in our way. It leads us in places that we should not go, things we should not do. Uh, we see it's creeping up on us, things that, uh, you know, we're blinded to in our own lives that only God can open our eyes and see the things that we're struggling with on a daily basis. Well, he finally gets away from the world and uh, he finds himself asleep 
and uh, he's not. And it says he's not losing reading his scroll or his Bible. So <laughs> that's kind of what happens to us if we lose our fellowship with the Lord, kind of fall away a little bit. We're not reading the Word like we should, and we find ourselves basically kind of sleeping. You know, we're sleeping in our relationship with God and, and His house, and we wonder sometimes why we feel so cold and indifferent. Uh, and it, that happens to the best of Christians. Happens to preachers. The Apostle Paul struggling with things himself. Anybody can find themselves cold and indifferent. And, and I believe it's by, by prayer and seeking God again that our souls can be revived and that we can once again find that sweet fellowship with the Lord. Well, somebody else comes along and uh, this person's name is Porter. Now, if you've read uh, the Gospel of John, you've met the Porter. Uh, Jesus said, He that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. Now the porter, the Holy Ghost, is um, that part of, of God that speaks to us. We're regenerated by the Holy Ghost, and it's through the Holy Ghost that uh, your, your ears are opened uh, when the preacher is preaching. Uh, you're able to see things in the Word of God. Things are revealed to you when you're reading the Scriptures. If you've ever been reading the Bible, and something comes out to you and say, man, I didn't know that. I just That's amazing. It's, God has just given me something. Well, that's the Holy Spirit that's, um, that's giving you that information, and, and if that's ever happened to you, you know that the Lord is paying attention to you. Uh, he's giving you something. He wants you to know something. And uh, you found a little nugget in God's Word. You found one of those pieces of that big crossword puzzle. And now you're able to start filling it in. And as you begin to fill it in, the Holy Ghost can give you some more. And it begins to make more and more sense. And I've, I've recognized the more that I read the Scriptures, the more these little pieces kind of fall in place. And you can begin to plug things in and understand more about the Word of God. Uh, a few years ago, I came across something that I'd never really fully seen. I knew about it, but I really didn't understand it as well as, I, as, I, as, I, as the Lord gave it to me on that day. I was able to understand about the everlasting covenant. And I began to fill in the pieces and to see that the Father chose a people before the world began and that the Son agreed to die for those very same people and that the Holy Spirit agreed to regenerate those very same people and that they entered into a covenant before the world began that all three of them would carry out their part in the Holy Covenant and that our salvation is not based upon what we do but it's based upon what God did and what He planned before the world was ever spoken into existence and that it was executed and terminated upon the cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ being the testator, the one who died to ratify the covenant. I mean, what a beautiful picture that we can find in God's Word when we read it and we apply ourselves to fit in these little puzzles. And as we read the Word of God, we find more and more puzzles being put together and we can understand it better. Well, he meets Porter, and Porter leads him to this great house that it says that was built by God. Well, which house do you think that was? <laughs> That's God's house, isn't it? <laughs> the Holy Spirit's what led you here today. You know, you didn't come here because you wanted to be, as I said a few Sundays ago, uh, you, you didn't come here for entertainment, did you? You came here because you wanted to know something from the Word of God. And, and, and that's what the house of God is for. It's to teach you. Now, we're to, we're to study ourselves. 
But you know, as the Ethiopian eunuch said, you, you can't learn everything yourself. He, he said, how can I learn except some men guide me? And that's what preachers are supposed to do. They're supposed to guide you and give you some of these pieces of these puzzles. So when you go home and you read the Word of God yourself, then you can begin to fill in the blanks and you'll receive a greater benefit from it. And so he goes to this house that's built by God or by the Lord and he meets these three people. One's name is Prudence, the other is Piety, and the other is Charity. Well, finally he's met somebody good. (laughs) He meets all these people out on the road that aren't doing him any good. Well, now he's come to a place and he's met some good things. You know, there's some good people and some good things to be found in the house of God. And I I cherish every one of those things. And uh, there are places in the world that you can find some good things and you can find uh, some help and encouragement in your life. And so uh, he meets them and he began to talk to them about his journey. And, uh, uh, and you know, it's, that's what, what happens when you come to church. You, you begin to look back on your life and you begin to look at your journey, where you've been, the things you've done, the people you've met. Uh, you begin to go over your life. And I believe that's a common experience of Christians as when we finally come to the Lord's house and we begin to reflect upon our lives and uh, we begin to wonder, you know, maybe I could have done that a little bit better. Maybe I would have uh, had a greater blessing and joy in my life had I done some things a little bit differently. And, uh, but you know, the Lord is good. He forgives us, doesn't He? Uh, no matter how far down we've been, the greatest sinner... God gives mercy to and he, he forgives us and uh, he blesses us with all of the riches that we have in God's house. As Jesus gave that parable about the prodigal son that had left his house and taken all of his possessions and wasted them on riotous living and he comes back and the father's looking for him and he said, all that I have is thine. You know, the Lord doesn't run out of blessings, does he? In God's house, he's got plenty of blessings for us no matter when we want. We may come here Uh, the last day of our life and he's still got plenty of blessings for us and I'm thankful to have received some of those blessings here in God's house so he begins to talk about his journey and uh, he's rehearsed something that he saw he said I was on the road and I was coming in this this way and I saw one hang bleeding up on a tree and the very sight of him the burden fell off my back Of course, he was speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you want to see when you come to God's house, isn't it? You want to see Jesus Christ hanging up on the cross. You want to see him hanging there, not just dying for everybody, but you want to see him there hanging and dying for you. For you, not just everybody. See, that's the difference between particular redemption and just a general atonement, some people believe. Jesus died for everybody? No, Jesus died for you. He died for you. When he was suffering there, he died for your sins. He died for every wrong thing you ever did or ever will do. He is, that's why we say he is a personal Savior. And he saw this man and he said, the burden left my back. Has the burden ever left your back, my friends? I think if, if you can say yes today, you can say that you saw the same one that Pilgrim saw, that Christian saw hanging upon the cross. And he began to rejoice in this house. And... Uh, Finally, and there's a lot of other characters that he met. I'm not going to go into all of them, but it's, it's amazing as he wrote this allegory, which is an allegory, how that it agrees so much with our personal experience with the Lord. So they take him uh, when he gets to this church and they take him to this armory. 
and it's the armory they take him to. Uh, he finds a sword, a shield, a helmet, a breastplate, and prayer, and shoes that would not wear out. Well, what was he referring to when he got there? He was referring to the passage of Scripture that the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 10. Excuse me, Ephesians chapter 6. There's only six chapters. So I'm going to read that to you. And remember, this is the same person writing about this, the weapons of our warfare. This is the same person that wrote about his personal struggle with his sin and with the flesh, this warfare that we all face every day. He said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Now, that's the place to be strong. Somebody, some people can say, I'm a really strong person. Well, really, you're not a really strong person. You know, when we finally come to the end of ourselves and we realize that we're not really strong people, that we can only be strong in the Lord. We go through our experiences in life and we find that we're really weak people. I find a lot of people that think they're really strong. There's a lot of guys that say, well, I'm a man and I'm really strong. Well, when it comes right down to it, they're really not that strong. <laughs> they're, they're pretty weak people when it comes right down to it. But Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's the strength that you and I have. It's in the power of the might of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have no strength of our own. Many people have come to the end of themselves in their life. They've lived their life. They've followed the counsel of Mr. Worldly Wise Man. They've followed him along and they become weaker and weaker and weaker until they finally give up and they say, Lord, help me. <laughs> You're the only one that can give me what I need in this last hour. And then they find the strength that they've needed all their life. And it is in the power of the Lord. I was talking to a man one time and he said he had gone through a great trial in his life and he had gone through alcoholism and a lot of other problems. He said, finally, he got to this place. He, he said, I said, Lord, if you're there, I need to see it now. And he said, the Lord changed him. I don't know how long it took him, but the Lord changed his heart and he became a member of a church and had a wonderful testimony. But that's when we find a power that you and I do not possess. It's only the power that comes from God that you and I can face this great struggle in our life. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We need all of the armor that God has for us, that we can stand the wiles of the devil. You know, if you're one of God's children, Satan doesn't like you. You may say, well, I've never really bothered with the devil or anything. It doesn't matter. If you're one of God's children, he wants to turn your light off. He doesn't want you here. He doesn't want you to have peace. He doesn't want you to be happy. He doesn't want you to read God's word. You know, sometimes in my experience, one of the things that motivated me more than anything as I thought in my mind, what is it that Satan does not want me to do? I know I should have been thinking probably, what is it that God wants me to do? <laughs> but sometimes, you know, let's face it, in our struggle sometimes, we don't really know what God wants us to do, do we? Have you ever asked God what he wants you to do? Lord, what do you want me to do today? Tell me something you want me to do, or next week. Well, I really don't know. Well, let me, let's turn it around then. This is a lot easier for our carnal nature. What does Satan want me to do? <laughs> 
And whatever that is that Satan wants me to do, that's what I'm not going to do. That's one of the best ways I think that we can kind of see our own selves, see our own, the way that we can even argue against our own selves to do something that is not right. But the devil's out there as a walking as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, and he wants to devour you. And then he says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Brother Doug prayed a wonderful prayer this morning, and he asked that God would raise up people in our country that would do that which is right. That's a prayer I have every day to put away the evil that we see around us. Now, we know there's going to be evil around us, but even Paul taught us in another epistle that we are to pray for the leaders of our land, that we might lead a peaceable life. Now, we're not going to, we know the Lord's not going to make all the politicians like Jesus, but we may at least be able to lead a peaceable life that we can continue to come here and worship the Lord unhindered. But the spiritual wickedness in high places, my friends, is far beyond what you and I can understand. We don't really know who's running this country, do we? We don't really know who's in power. We don't know why they make laws like they do sometimes. We don't understand it all. It's spiritual wickedness in high places, far above any pilgrim and stranger down here. And that's where we receive a great deal of discouragement when we see the world around us. But my friends, let me remind you who's in charge. We got the book right here. We know how it's going to end, don't we? We know where we're going. We know who's coming to get us. Doesn't matter what happens down here. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming back to get his people and take us home to live with him in glory. That's a wonderful thing to think about rather than thinking about the bad news of the politicians and everything going on. The spiritual wickedness in high places. Let us rejoice in the fact that one day we're going to be gathered together with the redeemed host of God and we're going to live with God in glory one day. We're going to see Jesus Christ and we're going to see all of these wonderful people that we read about in the scriptures and we're going to be with our church family. That's going to be a wonderful thing, time, and we need to be thinking about that rather than letting Satan cast our hearts down upon the ungodliness that we see in the world today. So he says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Sometimes that's all you can do. You know, you may not be able to gain a lot of ground in your battle on a particular day or in a particular event or in something going on in your family. But if you can just stand, don't let Satan cast you down. Don't let him destroy you. Don't let him ruin your testimony. Don't let him keep you from being in God's house. Don't let him ruin your life is what he wants to do. Just stand. If you can just do that, then you've done a lot. And the great day of battle. Some battles are not won by overtaking the enemy and destroying the foe on the same day. Some battles are won just to have another day. Just give me another day to fight. Just give me one more day I can stand. And then I think I can find the strength to face the next day and the next day and the next day. I can tell you, Satan gets discouraged when you don't fall. That's what James said. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And some days if we can just stand... That's the best thing you can do. Don't worry about it if you didn't gain any ground. You stood. You didn't turn around. You didn't run. You didn't desert God. You didn't desert His Word. You didn't desert His house. At least you stood. You did something. 
And sometimes that's all God expects us to do is just to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. That's one of your weapons is truth. I mentioned earlier to know the truth. Jesus spoke about the truth. It shall set you free. Know the truth that shall set you free, make you free. The truth is a great weapon. You know, sometimes you, you're confused. You don't really know who to believe, what to believe, what to believe. Mr. Worldly Wise Man's going to come to you. He's going to present all kinds of doctrines, all kinds of ideas. You need to know the truth. If you're not reading the book, you don't know the truth. You're going to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You don't know what doctrine is. You don't have any truth. Oh, my friends, you get some truth. You can stand in the face of a lot of people. They're not going to cast you down. They're not going to make you doubt. They're not going to give you fears. I don't go to bed at night worrying I'm going to go to hell because I know what the truth is. Jesus Christ died for me. It has nothing to do with anything I did. It's what Christ did for me. That's the truth of it. That's one fear I can cast away. My greatest fear is what I'm going to do that might not be right. You know, those are things we worry about. We need to know the truth. What is right? There's a lot of people today that don't have any truth. They don't know if, a, if they're a boy or a girl. They don't have any truth. You see how the world can twist people's minds, get them confused, cause them all kinds of sorrow because they don't have the truth. But when you've got the truth, you know when somebody's telling you a lie, don't you? You know when Mr. Worldly Wise Man comes along and starts presenting these things to you, you say, well, that's not right. That's not right. Well, the world says, well, you can't say that. There's really not a right. Well, according to God's word, the truth is there is a right. There's a right and there is a wrong. There is a truth and there is a lie. So have your loins girt about with truth and have on the breastplate of righteousness. Oh, that's a powerful weapon. Satan can't get here. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan can't have me. He can accuse me. He's accuser of the brethren. He's going to accuse you all your life. He's going to accuse God. Those people are going to heaven. Look at them. They're all sinners. Oh, but the breastplate says, but Christ died for my sins. I stand innocent before the throne of God. Jesus Christ paid for my sins in full. Although I still struggle with the flesh, one day I'm laying this flesh down. It's going to stay in the grave. I'm going to heaven through the Spirit, in my spirit and in my soul. And this breastplate brings up the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't be accused. I'm like Paul in Romans, Romans, uh, Romans 9. In the flesh, I serve the world, but in my spirit, I serve God. That breastplate has helped me many times, even though I condemn myself many times. I see my sin. I look back over my sin. I regret my sin, but it doesn't pull me down to the place that I'm so discouraged that I can't find some peace because I know even though I'm a sinner, Christ paid for my sin. As Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. You see, that breastplate is a powerful thing. Paul used it in his own life when they said, Paul, you're not an apostle, you're not a preacher, you murdered Christians. But you see, my friends, that was his past. We're talking about right now. My breastplate is right now. My past is my past. That was yesterday. We're just looking at right now. That's why we ought to look at God's people right now. 
You're in God's house right now. That's who you are right now. We are right now. The Lord looks at us right now. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Oh, the gospel is a wonderful weapon. The gospel of peace. Christ has made peace between the Father and his people through his shed blood and the imputed righteousness that he has given to us. There is peace now between God and man. Not all men. Not all men. But for those Christ died for, we have peace with our Holy Father. He does not look at us anymore in condemnation because Christ has paid for our sins. Above all, above all, this is pretty important, he says, take the shield of faith wherein you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts, all the fiery darts of the wicked. Fiery darts, those are fiery arrows, by the way, in that day that Satan throws at us on a daily basis. He's always trying to confuse us. Did you know one of the biggest things we struggle with is, is right in here between your head? You know, your, your mind, the what we think. There's some books written on golf, and they address the fact of, this, of what you fight more in golf than anything else, and that is between your ears. You've got the game in you, but you keep hitting bad shots because of what you're thinking. You know, when you start thinking right, then, <laughs> and quit thinking of, you know, that's what happens in golf. You hit a bad shot. You shank a ball, you hit it bad. Oh my gosh, the next one's going to be just like it. I'm going to hit another bad shot. And then you keep thinking like that. What do you do? You hit another bad shot. You know, it's right in here. you, you got to be thinking. Okay, you made some bad shots. Let's start thinking about what we really can do. What I've seen myself do in the past. In the past, I had a great drive. In the past, I hit a great chip shot up. I made a great putt. I'm going to think about that. There's books written about that. Well, here's the Bible telling us the same thing, that um, we need the shield of faith, which is believing, believing, believing what God says in His Word. It's written there. We've got to believe it. You say, well, I know it's in the Bible. I know it says that Jesus Christ helped some people. He went to the wild Gadarene, and uh, he took the devils out of him. He went to, uh, he forgave Mary Magdalene. He, for, he did this for uh, Cornelius. And, but, you know, this is really, this is me. This is different. No, it's not any different. You just find one of those characters in the Bible that you think might be you and, and do it. It's right in here. The Lord wants you to know it. Be thinking right. Get rid of those fiery darts Satan's throwing at you, trying to discourage you, cast you down, make you think negative thoughts, and keep you from doing the things that will be a blessing to you. And take the helmet of salvation. Or the helmet of salvation. So I'm going to put this helmet on, and uh, I know that Christ has saved me. You see, this all revolves around who we are. Who we are. I'm one of God's children. I've got the helmet of salvation. Christ died for me. Why don't I need to live like this? I need to live like a saved person. <laughs> That's what we want to live like. You know, so he throws a rock at you and hits you in the head and says, no, you're not. You're not worth anything. You know, no, it's going to bounce off my helmet because I know I, the, the Lord died for me. I'm going to take that helmet and I'm going to put it on. It's the way I'm thinking, you know. It's going to keep my mind thinking right. And I'm going to get the sword of the Spirit. And he tells you what that one is. It is the Word of God. You know, the, the sword of the Spirit 
is a powerful thing. The Word of God is powerful. I've already mentioned about uh, having truth, and that is the Word of God. But the Word of God, uh, you, you, can, uh, you can carry on a conversation with other people that might oppose what you believe. If you don't know the Word of God, then you're just saying, well, I, I, my preacher preached on that one time. You know, I remember it, but I, uh, but I can't remember exactly what he said. You know, uh, you've just lost your sword. You know, your sword is to be able to quote a scripture, uh, whatever it is that you're in doubt about. Just remember where to find it. And uh, you, can, you can fight a great battle with the um, sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that's what we do when we're in the pulpit. You know, we're, we're fighting this battle. And then he says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So prayer is another great weapon for us, isn't it? Have you ever been cast down and you just said, Lord, help me, I'm going to just start praying. You found some comfort and relief. Although I do know sometimes you can start praying, you're thinking, well, I don't even think I can pray right now. You know, Prayer can be a task, but it can also be a, a blessing and a benefit for all of the other weapons of your warfare. Help me to use my sword. Help me to keep my helmet on. Help me to keep that breastplate of righteousness on. Those weapons are very powerful for God's people. I encourage you to use every one of those weapons. But you will notice something about those weapons. There is not one piece of armor for your back. Not one. If you're going the wrong direction, if you're running from your enemy, if you're not going towards a celestial city and you're going the other way, you're going to be wounded. You know, you're going to definitely receive some blows and some pain because you're going the wrong way. Many of God's people have received a lot of pain in their life from going the wrong way because there's no armor for your back. Now you would think, surely now Christian's got to this house and he's gotten all of his weapons and he's seen the cross. His burden has been relieved. He'll never have any more problems, will he? <laughs> you got some people laughing. <laughs> no, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Yeah, I just told you the Apostle Paul, he's, he's got this struggle going on in his own life. Next person he meets is Apollyon, who is the devil himself, and you will too. <laughs> you know, he tells him, turn back. You know, Christ isn't everything. You're not going to receive that great a blessing. You're not going to get that much benefit from it. You know, your old parents, they've been doing that all their life. They just, you know, that's all they know. They don't know anything else. They're boring people anyway, you know. <laughs> You're not going to get anything out of this. Don't hang around. He doesn't want you here. Go somewhere else. Yeah, you're going to meet him. You may not even know it when you meet him. He may be one of your buddies down at the deer camp. He may be somebody, you know, uh, that you're associated with that uh, you think really highly of. He'll be trying to convince you not to be here, not to read God's Word, not to get a blessing. Yeah, he'd be talking to you. He talked to me. I've met him. I've met him. I've met him. I'm probably going to meet him again. Sometimes you meet him right when you walk out of the pulpit. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't want me up here. That's one of the reasons I keep doing it. I know something he doesn't want me to do. He doesn't want me to read the Word of God. And he doesn't want me to preach. So I'm going to keep doing it as long as I can get up here. <laughs> anyway, 
he goes a little bit further. I got to get a couple more of these in here. They're so good. He meets. He goes to Vanity Fair. <laughs> he meets all these vanities in the world, and he's got to get through Vanity Fair. I won't go into all that with you, but you know, you may have been to Vanity Fair. You've been to Vanity Fair. You've seen all these things the world has to offer. Then he's taken captive by the giant of Doubting Castle. He begins to doubt, and he gets beat up. <laughs> You've been beat up with your doubts and your fears. Anyway, he goes on and on, and so anyway, I'll close with this over in 2 Corinthians. Much the same truth that the apostle gives the church at Corinth. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. These imaginations we're supposed to cast down are human carnal reasonings. Start reasoning in your mind that all these things in this book really are not important. Then you need to cast that down. Thank you for listening to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church. This has been Elder Neil Phelan Jr. preaching from one of our regular meetings. Come and join us as we worship God in the simplicity of Christ every Sunday morning at 416 North Hall Street in Donaldson, Arkansas. At Harmony, we don't have many things that are so common in the religion of our day, but we do have a successful Savior. We invite you to come and see.